preached. Uh, preachers need preaching. And uh, this has been a great ministry in my own life. We had just incredible fellowship yesterday together. And, and I have also been impressed with uh, you as a student body. I've been sharing with some people. Um, and that's uh, really not smoke. I, I've just been excited. I, I just chose to pick out some students to say, you know, what should I speak on? And it was very interesting to hear the response of the students, and I was encouraged. I love your president. I love his family. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm impressed with your hunger for God and his word. Well, even with your attentiveness has uh, kind of blown me away a little bit. And I would like to ask you before we begin, if you would just bow in a word of prayer and that you would ask God to speak to you about himself. We're going to look at him. And I want uh, him to speak to you about what he is like and how that might change or impact your life. So would you just bow for a moment and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes a gathering like this even possible. We pray, our God, that not only would your word be honored, but that your spirit would be in our midst and free to do as he wills with each one of us, especially myself. And Lord, I would ask that we might understand you just a little bit better, that we might see you with a little bit clearer eyes, and we might long for you, and that a fire within our hearts would be kindled to know you even better. And Father, may our understanding of you affect how we live in this life and seek to bring you glory. And all because of your Son and all for his glory. And in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. A newspaper reporter told this story of a, a subway incident that was so interesting and I thought it was so appropriate to some of the questions that we ask ourselves. Uh, a man was late uh, getting back from lunch. He had just gorged himself. It was a hot summer day in, in uh, New York, and uh, so he went to the subway, and it was just jammed with people getting back from lunch, just crammed on the subway. So all he could do was step onto the subway and let the doors close in front of him. And so here he is, pressed up against a mass of people. It's smelly. It's hot. He's just totally stuffed himself, and he's looking out a window, and there's just, you know, three feet separating him from the wall that's whizzing by, and he's going about 30 miles an hour, and he's feeling awfully sick. You know, can you imagine just being there, and you're, ugh. At the very next stop, there are two men who formulated this story and told the reporter, and they kind of all put it together. The two men are standing, waiting for the subway to stop. And they're both in three-piece suits. They're both looking their, their best. They're both coming back from lunch. They both have briefcase. They're standing about three feet apart, and they are, they're waiting for the subway to stop. And what happened next happened within about 45 seconds. What happened was the subway pulled into the station. The doors opened. The man nauseated, vomited all over one of the men, just, just covered him. And the other man standing next to him, nothing happened to him. And then he leaned back up, the doors closed, the train left. And the one man who's just covered with lunch looked at the other man, his friend, who's totally untouched. Nothing happened. And he said, why me? You ever ask that question? Why me? Why me? Why do I have this father? Why do I have this mother, this brother, this sister? Why, why do I have this R.A.? Why did I get this teacher? Bookman. 
Why this body? Why this nose? Uh, why this face? Why these feet? Why this waistline? Daryl. Uh, why this, these thighs? Why this hair? Why no hair? Why? Why school so hard? Why do I have to work when others don't have to work? Why, why don't I know what I want to do with my life? Why this pain? Why this trial? This suffering? This weakness? Um, why this rejection? Why this loneliness? Why me? Why me? Now that statement really can only be answered by raising another question that every Christian here needs to ask. And that is, can anything happen by accident? Can really anything happen by accident? I mean, what about when you hear class take out a clean sheet of paper, it's pop quiz time. What about when your mom and dad say, you know, we've decided to get a divorce or hello, I'm calling from the bank about your checking accounts. Sorry, sir, it's not a carburetor problem. Your whole engine is shot. Or the dean wants to see you right now. Don't bother going to your room. Or sorry, gang, that wasn't leftover stew. That was Alpo. Um, What about accidents? See, the question really comes down to is, is God in control? Is he really in control in a world like ours? Is he in control? We ask the same question, but we ask it different ways. We ask questions like, well, how can I can't seem to get a handle on life? And how come I not only don't have a boyfriend, I can't even get a date? Uh, why am I not happy? Uh, why did my parents have to die just right now? Or what's the reason why I can't find a good job? And why are others promoter and I'm just passed by? Why can't I afford the things I really want? Why does life have to be so hard? Why does God seem to be so distant right now? And what does he want me to do? Why the rains? Why the flood? Why the earthquake? What's the answer? Well, the answer ultimately rests in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Now, I've got to tell you up front, and I'm going to have a hard time getting through this, because my heart and mind is so full. I've been studying this for years now, and, and I, I love theology. And I know that scares a lot of you. You know, theology, theology is a hard class. You know, it's, it's a class for smart people. Theology is the study of chaos, the study of God. Now, you see, I, I love genealogy. I love genealogy because my wife's name is Jeannie, and I love the study of gene. And when I said 14 years ago, I do, I thought I really knew my wife. <laughs> Was I wrong? Uh, I, I'm learning stuff every month about my wife that's new and different, and, it, and it's an exciting relationship. And the more intimate I am, the more I learn. It's fabulous. And, and there are times that I say, uh, you know, what manner of woman is this? But there, there, for the most part, I love her. We are intimate. We are growing together. And it's a marvelous study, this genealogy. But there's something even more amazing than genealogy, and that is theology, getting to know God. Intimacy with the Creator, with the God who made us. And one area, one attribute of God that answers most of life's toughest questions, in fact, the why questions, the ones that nobody wants to deal with, is this issue of the sovereignty of God. The Bible tells us that without any doubt, God possesses total power and total autonomy as the master ruler and owner of all. I like this, if you want to understand the Sovereignty of God. God does as He pleases, only as He pleases, and always as He pleases. 
God is in control. God has the power. God is the one who is running our universe. Would you take a look with me at Deuteronomy, if you would? And we're going to be spinning around at quite a few different passages, trying to build a theology together. And some I'll have you turn to, others I'll just refer to. But Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. 32, verse 39. God is in control. He is running the show. He knows what he's doing. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. That's the crispy portion of your Pentateuch there. Now see that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. God says He has the power of life and death. He has the power over sickness and health. And no one can stop God from fulfilling His will. See, the only problem with a sovereign God is that no one likes it, really. Because, see, the non-Christian, he'll allow God to be anything, anywhere, he can, he can be assigned all kinds of things that are true of Him as the, in a sense, even Creator, as the God who is somehow overseeing all this, except for Sovereign. I remember uh, watching, and uh, Daryl made reference to country music, which was a personal offense to me, but I'll get over it. Um, and I was watching, I was spinning the channels as men do, surfing, and um, uh, Garth Brooks was accepting an award and he said, I want to thank God. And I thought, man, that's good. That's neat. I like that. You know, the first thing he said. And then he said, boy, he's done a hell of a lot for me. And I looked at that and I went, man, you really have friends in low places. <laughs> I thought, how typical of the non-Christian. God can be assigned even thanks and blessing creatorship, but He cannot be Lord. He cannot be sovereign. He cannot be in control because if He is, that means I have to submit. You know, and for us Christians, let's be honest, we love God being sovereign when things go our way. But have God do some sovereign surgery in your life, change your plans, give you pain, hurt, trial, suffering. Sometimes we become resentful. And yet God is doing what He does as the sovereign God. Uh, one of your faculty members, Dean Conk, I worked with him uh, running a little camp called Wagon Train and, and uh, up at Hume Lake. And uh, we, we taught the counselors that whenever they would sit with their ch the kids, that they would use touch as control so that they wouldn't have their kids all lined up you know, next to them. They'd always be around them. So at any point they could touch them if there was a problem. And whenever you had a kid squirreling around in his seat, there was always one of two responses when you reached out and touched the kid. You either got this, in a sense, a little squeeze, and they would just kind of humble right under that squeeze and recognize, yeah, I, I need to kind of come under this and stop squirreling around. Or you got, as soon as you grab their shoulder, they go, oh, get off of me! You know, their first response. And I'm wondering, how do we as Christians respond when the hand of God reaches out and touches our life? and squeeze it. 
Is it a sense of, all right, God, what is there for me? What do you want me to learn? Or is it, get off! And that struggle, a sense of rebellion or submission. Because that is the issue of the sovereignty of God. Some of you aren't convinced, so I want to just kind of list through some scriptures that I won't have you turn to. Revelation 1.18, Jesus Christ says He holds the keys of death and Hades. Hebrews 9.27, God appoints the death of every man. It's never from a gun. It's never from an auto accident. It's never from a rare disease or a heart attack. It's God appoints the death of every man, even those you love. 1 Samuel 2, 6 and 7, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, he raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. Modern translation, he gives tuition, he makes you work for it. He brings you low, he exalts you. He can and does reverse all human circumstances. In fact, life and death are in his hands. When someone dies, it's God's will. It's always his will. No premature death with God. Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigns over the nations. He sits on His holy throne. He's ruler of the nations. He has the right to do anything He pleases. The psalmist agrees in Psalm 115, verse 3, one of my favorite verses, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven, in earth, in the seas, in all the depths. And then, of course, 1 Timothy 6, it tells us that God is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the King. He's the King. Our God is in perfect control of all circumstances. Being sovereign means He controls everything. His will is absolute. He does whatever He wishes. And see, if God is truly God, then His sovereignty must be absolute, even over your life. His rule must involve total control of everything in His domain, every circumstance, every situation, every person, and all events, every one. Daniel, and he said in 2 that God removes kings and establishes kings. Proverbs 21, verse 1, it's the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. I mean, God's control means that he either directly uh, causes or consciously permits everything that happens. Paul said in Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And he said in Ephesians, all things are after the counsel of his will. God's in control. He does as He pleases, only as He pleases, and always as He pleases. You say, so what? What I want to do very briefly with our time is I want to have you look at how the sovereignty of God in a practical way can change the way we look at life, the way we live life, the way we look at ourselves, even our mission, our plan, and what God has for us. What difference should it make that God is sovereign? I'm not going to deal with all the tensions today. I may refer to a few of them. Uh, But because of time, I won't do that. But let me give you just five key points, if I can, if you're taking notes. And that would be, first, since God is sovereign, there are no accidents. There are no accidents. You are not an accident. Minus your sin, you are exactly what God wants you to be. Exactly. It was no accident that a young girl was crippled in a simple diving accident. It was no accident because as a result she became a spokesperson for the handicap and the person of Johnny Erickson Tata. That was not an accident. It was not an accident that Hosea married Gomer and that whole issue became a lesson for Israel. Now his first lesson, which should have been her name, but 
but uh, the first clue. It wasn't a mistake that Joseph was thrown into the pit. I mean, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, please, with me. Romans chapter 8. Kind of be our key text for this morning. You know, it wasn't a mistake. Several years ago, my wife and I needed a safe and reliable car. I was, uh, I was one who uh, drove a 72 exploding Pinto, and uh, my wife had a horrible Volkswagen, and they were both breaking down, and we needed a car. We wanted a car. We, we couldn't afford a car. We couldn't rent a car. We didn't think we should steal a car. And so we got desperate, and we did what Daniel said. We prayed. And it was really the first time that we'd ever said, God, we, we have to have something, and, and uh, we can't get it ourselves, and we're just going to have to turn to you. And I know that sounds funny, but it was the first time in our lives we had kind of faced that situation. And, and so Gene very seriously uh, said, you know, we really we need to commit this to prayer. And two days later, I asked her, I said, honey, what are you, you, know, what are you praying for? You know, I'm praying for a Mercedes. What are you praying for, you know? And she got real serious, and she said, you know, with our needs and our ministry and with this thing and kids that we bring around and, and with our boys, uh, we, we really need a station wagon, but, but not a big one, exact quote. And I thought, wow, what a spiritual woman. Um, I guess the Porsche's out. And then uh, three days later, I was studying late for in seminary, and I got a phone call from a friend who had been trying to give a car away. I had no idea that this was true, and he had put it on this lot and he got a ticket. He put it on this lot and he got a ticket. He was just trying to sell it in the community and was trying to give it away, you know, in a sense almost give it away and or sell it for a cheap price. And he finally said, you know, I just kind of felt that God was telling me he, I had to give it to you. And um, I said, wow. You know, I, I, was, I was just tingles going up and down my spine and I was sitting down in the chair with all my notes in front of me and he goes, oh, by the way, let me tell you what kind of car it is. It's a station wagon, but not a big one. It's the first time I ever fell over in my chair. And I ran in and I woke up Jean, who was pregnant with our second, and, and, uh, and, uh, and she, she couldn't believe it. You know, that God had, had sovereignly just decided to make sure that he knew that, 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 we wanted, that he wanted us to know that, that he was in control. Romans 8.28, you know this verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose let's pick that apart all things you'll be blown away by what the Greek means the the Greek word all you know what the Greek word all means there it means all that's what it means right there it's unbelievable all-inclusive every event every circumstance every situation God is overseeing all things they have to work that means God's control is active and alive. God is working. It's not passive. It's not deist. He's not watching. He's involved. And He's working together. He's harmoniously creating all the variables of life to work together for good, He says. For good. He tells us it's going to help us to find God's best. And I love verse 29. You know, you really can't read verse 28 without verse 29. Would you look at 29? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. And here's the reason. This is the good of verse 28. To be conformed to the image of His what? His Son. 
God is working all these things out to make you like who? Jesus Christ. God's sovereignty is working all things in our lives, no matter what they are, to conform us to the image of His Son. That's a thrilling thought. God's sovereignty is kind of like, you know, when you take pictures and you get the prints back, you always have the negatives. God's sovereignty is like a negative. Because a negative controls the amount of light that goes through and directs it and balances it so that you get the best possible picture. God's sovereignty is that same way. Anything that comes into your life is in a sense focused by God's sovereignty, balanced with His love and His wisdom and all of who He is so that the best possible picture, the good, comes out in your life. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. I mean, God's control of events is in such a way that nothing ever gets to you unless it's God's best. you believe that? And since He's in control that mean, and His sovereignty, that means that, that it's all of what comes to us is also an expression of not just His sovereignty, but all of who He is. His love and His grace and His wisdom. He's not making any mistakes. It's not passive. It's active. You know, when I spank my kids, and I do from time to time, even though they're incredibly godly. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's not just my uh, justice that's delivering the spanking. It's all of me, my love and my care and my affection and my, my hope for them in the future. All of that is expressed. Even when God spanks us as His children, it's all of Him. Now, you've got to make sure that you avoid the extreme of seeing every situation as a message from God I mean, or an indicator of what he wants you to do. I mean, like choosing someone as your mate because their name is, is the first, is the same name as your favorite childhood toy. You know, Tonka. Oh, it's Barbie. <laughs> Darth Vader. I, you know, whatever. It's, that's not it. I mean, God's revealed will is the Word of God. And this is the primary directive for which to get our signals as to God's will. So don't read too much into circumstance, but understand that nothing happens by accident. Secondly, secondly, if God is sovereign, then pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. Would you turn to Psalm 119, please? Uh, the psalm that you've been reading at the beginning of our chapel. Psalm 119. Every trial, every affliction, every suffering has a reason. God is working it out for good in order to conform us to His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason is even stated very clearly in the Old Testament. In fact, I know of a Christian woman who was dying of cancer. She was suffering. She was in great pain, but she still mustered to read the Scripture every day. And she couldn't wait for her friends to come visit this one particular day as she was going through Psalm 119 because she wanted to show them what God had taught her as she's laying there suffering on her deathbed. And she said, as she came in, hurry, hurry, I've got to read this to you. I've got to read this to you. And she opened them up to Psalm 119, verse 67. 67 in Psalm 119 and 68. It says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep Thy Word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me Thy statutes. Then look at verse 71. Verse 71. He says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. 
And then verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous and in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. And when she finished with tears in her eyes, she looked up and she smiled. She says, you know, I wouldn't miss this for the world because I am right where God wants me to be. Is that true of you? See, now you know the answer to the question, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing in my life? Why this pain? Why this relationship hurt? Why this trauma? Why this heartache, this loneliness? Why are you allowing this mistake? Why this injustice, God? God is sovereignly making you like Jesus, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And He is working out good in your life. And Psalm 119 says, so that you might really learn the Word of God. That you might obey the Word of God. Some of you might say, you know, why is God dealing with me in such a radical way? I'll give you the answer, because you are a very big construction project. You are. To make you like Jesus is not a wimpy house. It's redoing an entire slum to make you like Christ. It's a big project. And that means there's something that can be learned in every situation. I mean, when someone is unloving to us, we can learn what it means to be loving, unconditional back. When someone hurts us, we can learn to forgive. When we're fighting with someone in authority, we can learn to submit. When we run out of cash, we learn to be good stewards or to write good letters. When we become bored with our lives, we can learn to stay faithful. When we get sick, we can thank God anyway. See, when God is in control, there's no more bad news. It's just God news. God's communicating something to us. I mean, marriage is a great example of that. There's almost, I, I, I have met very few people that at one point in their marriage, they go, what have I done? You know, I'm glad that love was blind and in getting into this thing because, man, I, I wouldn't ever gotten into this thing. And that's why 1 Corinthians says that in marriage you'll have tribulation. Same word used for the seven-year period at the end of our Bibles. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And that's why I think Matthew 19 says, God put you together. God did. Some people wake up and they say, you know, I thought they were a Christian. You know what? They're not. What do I do now? And our counsel is, stick with it. 1 Corinthians 7, don't leave. I mean, this is, this is God's part in your life to make you what He wants you to be and possibly to win them to Christ. You see, that's no fun, men and women. This is not the party. We haven't gotten to the party yet. The party is in heaven, right? Anybody say amen here? Amen. Now is the time where we become like Christ. And you know what? You say, oh, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to suffer like Jesus. You've got to be rejected like Jesus. You've got to hurt like Christ. All that comes with being like Jesus. This is not the party. The party's yet to come. And God is at work conforming us to the image of His Son to help us to understand what He is like. Even your mistakes, even your sins can be used by God to make you like His Son. I remember even as an elementary school student, Stealing for the pure joy of stealing. You ever did that? 
I mean, I went out there and I just stole and I was impressing all my friends and I got caught. And the cop treated my friends great and treated me like dirt and I'll never forget the lesson of the consequences of sin. Some visitors came to a hearing and speech-impaired school and they were invited to write on the blackboard any question that they desired the children to answer and one person was sufficiently thoughtless to ask he said, they wrote on the board, says, why did God make you deaf and dumb and gave other children speech and hearing? Silence, of course. Very tense. Tears glistened in the eyes of some of the children. And then one boy took the chalk and wrote this sublime answer. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. How about you? Pain has a purpose. Even when we don't understand, God's at work. Number three in your outline, if God is sovereign, then you are God's best work. You are God's best work. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. You are God's best work. Minus your sin, you and I are exactly... What God wants you and I to be. Doesn't matter what your circumstance, doesn't matter whether positive or negative, doesn't matter your employment, your weaknesses, your trials, it doesn't matter about your appearance, your family, your personality, minus your sin, you are exactly what God wants you to be. If God is sovereign, Apart from your sinfulness and disobedience, every circumstance, every situation. Job, I think, you know what that means, and I want to speak very directly. I think that some of us need to repent. Because some of us have an image of ourselves that is not true. Not only is it not true, it's proud. Because basically God says, you are what I made you, and you are my best work. You are Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 10, a masterpiece, a workmanship. And yet we're saying, no, I'm not. And basically what you're saying to God, my opinion of myself is more accurate than your opinion. That's pride. That's pride. You're God's best work. We need to begin to deal with that. And, and as, as Daryl said, look in our own bag and see what God has made us to be. Because each of us are a unique gift in which to reflect the character of God to this world. In fact, they're not going to see a certain aspect of Jesus Christ unless you walk in the Spirit and allow God to live through you and work through you. Start being yourself. Be authentic and rejoice in the fact that God made you the way you are. And the sovereignty of God, if you really meditate, if you really think, if you really reflect, is going to cause a crisis in your life. Because you're going to have to deal with the fact that this is the way God made me. Exactly who I am. Minus my rebellion. Minus my disobedience. And he did his best work. His best work. Fourthly, and I'll go quickly, since God is sovereign, he has a plan for our lives. Not knowing what, Dar uh, <clears throat> what Alistair was going to speak on, I'll just kind of quickly go through this together. But God is at work in our lives. And he is at work in this world. And God has a plan. And we all know what that plan is. Simply speaking, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the what? Glory of God. Reflect 
the character of God. God's glory is the summation of all who He is. It means make sure that whatever you do, it displays God. And Paul says, it, it doesn't matter what you eat. It, you can't even lift a glass of water to your lips unless it makes God look good. That's our purpose. I mean, what, what, what can we do here that we cannot do in heaven? Well, we, we don't get to sin in heaven. We don't get to share Christ in heaven. We don't get to have babies in heaven. What do you think He left us here to do? Don't say sin. Share Christ. Have spiritual babies. That's why we're here. And God is at work. Why didn't He take us home if we could better glorify God in heaven than here? Because He wants us to display His glory. And as 1 Peter 2 says, proclaim His excellencies. You say, wait a minute, if God is sovereign, then why am I going out and witness to anybody? They're going to get saved anyway. You ever thought that? You know what's interesting about that? God also chose the means in which to save people, and that's you and I. That's the means to the end. You ever read that passage in Acts chapter 10 where the angel comes to Cornelius and says, the gospel is going to come to you. You know, this man is going to come and he's going to bring a message. If I was God and I sent an angel to a guy, I'd just tell the angel, tell him! Right? Why's Peter got to come? Just tell him. Why? Because angels aren't the messengers. We are. We are. Therefore, how are they going to hear unless they be sent? Romans 10. We've got to go. We've got to proclaim and demonstrate His character. Are you a part of His plan? Do you have a passion for it? I love football and I, uh, I really don't get into it until about this time of the year. And uh, of course, you know, you root for your favorite team and, and I really like to watch the passing and I really like Jerry Rice and how he catches. And I like the sticking, I, the blocking. I, I like the whole mechanics of the game. But you know what? The goal of football is not passing and kicking and throwing the ball well. The goal of football is touchdowns. Winning the game. And the part of our expression that is the winning the game as to why God has left us here so that we might display His glory to the lost world and they might see who Christ is. That's why He left us here. And if God is sovereign and at work, are you cooperating with that overall plan? You know, when my kids, when they were younger, when they walked with me, um, and they were real small, they'd like wander off, you know, and you're always kind of pulling them back and pulling them back. And the greatest way that we could walk together was when they'd just grab your hand and just walk with you. And so wherever I went, wherever the Father went, they just went right along. And you know, when you begin to walk that way with your Heavenly Father, He's going to lead you into situations where you begin to display His glory. He is. Because that's the Father's plan. That's where the Father's going. Are you a part of this plan? Finally, and quickly, fifthly, God's sovereignty means He has a right to rule my life. Would you look at Daniel chapter 4? Daniel chapter 4 in the Old Testament. That will be our last passage and main Old Testament passage. Daniel chapter 4. He has the right to rule my life. We have a problem in America, and it's the idea of a sovereign. As a matter of fact, our slogan for the American Revolution, if you didn't know this, it was, we have no sovereign here. That was the American Revolution theme. So we developed and formed a, a kind of government that was ruled by the people, each of us to some degree being our own sovereign, and yet when we become a Christian in America, 
that independent government by me attitude has to go. Because God is in charge. He says in uh, Daniel chapter 4, which by the way is the apex of the book of Daniel in the first seven chapters. Chapters 2 and 7 talk about the same theme. Four world empires. Chapters 3 and 6 talk about God's protection. Chapters 4 and 5, God's judgment on the, the Gentile nations. And right at the apex, right at the point where they would be focusing on, if you were an Israelite at that time, would be the end of chapter 4. Look at verse 34. It says, but at the end of that period... I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Here the greatest king in the world has been humbled. He's been a cow king uh, for uh, seven periods of time, an utter catastrophe. And uh, he uh, reasoned return to me. And I, I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him for who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? And at that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors, my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty of surpassing greatness was added to me. And now I... Imagine a Jew reading this, the greatest Gentile king who has them in bondage. What he says here. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven. For all His works are true and His ways are just and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. You don't control your life. I don't control my life. You're not the captain of your own soul. As God's children, we must now be obedient to our King and give up our own rule. Have you? And what is it in your life right now as we conclude? What sin issue in your life is just there and you're saying no to God who continues to bring it to the surface? What area of freedom are you saying, you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do this, God, and I'll do this and I'll give up that, but I ain't never going to give up that. What area is that where God is saying, hey, I want that under my rule? That area too. What area of your life is, is an area that has just been going on and on? Maybe over the break even you got into some areas of have habit that you're saying, this is not right. You know, He'll bring it to mind once you ask. Are you trusting with a future? Are you trusting with a mate? Are you trusting with fears? Let me affirm His sovereignty because God will have His way with you whether you obey Him or not. The only difference is you'll miss out on the blessing, the joy, and the fellowship, and the benefit. See, God's sovereign, which means His way is going to be done. Whether you cooperate or not, it's just that He will accomplish His will. Let me give you a comparison. Jonah. Jonah was disobedient. Jonah went his own way. And you know what? He had to pay his own way to get on that ship to go to Tarshish. And yet God's will was accomplished anyway, wasn't it? Through the vehicle of fish vomit, whatever. I mean, just a horrible thing he went through. But God's will was accomplished. You know, Jochebed, Moses' mother, she was obedient not to kill her own child. She put Moses in the basket. You know what's amazing? Because she was obedient, God paid her way. I mean, she was actually paid to nurse her own child and God's will was accomplished. The issue is God's will is going to be accomplished whether you obey or not, but you miss out in cooperating with the sovereign king of the universe who wants to bless his children. Let's pray together, shall we?
there is anything in your life that you have in the past considered an accident and unfortunate, give God glory by acknowledging the fact that He's involved. Maybe there's an issue of pain or suffering. Maybe an issue of injustice that has occurred in your life. Maybe it's downright horrible. Can you acknowledge the sovereignty of God in that area? Just as your head's down and your eyes are closed. I know for me, I was tremendously convicted as Daryl spoke on contentment. Maybe that's an area of your own life where you look at yourself and you I am just not content with the way that God made me. Would you confess that? Talk to God about that? See, I, I want to begin the process of understanding what it means that you made me the way that I am, minus my sin. Maybe as Alistair so wonderfully exegeted John 4, you began to sense in your own heart a, a lack of love for the lost, a passionate plan. And you're not a part of God's desire to reach those without Christ. Maybe you find yourself outside that circle. Talk to Him about that. Say, if that's your will, that's your plan for this planet, how can I be a part of it? Maybe there's an issue of, of sin or freedom or some other area where God's been speaking to you again and again. It, it may be even right for other people, but just not right for you. And you've been missing out because you just haven't said, God, I, I want you to rule in that area as well. Heavenly Father, we thank You for, again, Your Son, Jesus Christ, who made this time possible. We thank You and are reminded again that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our Sovereign. And Father, we come before You recognizing how much You love us and how much You desire the best for us and working all things together for good for us. And we thank You again. And we acknowledge Your kingship. And we say to You that we desire to be those who are living sacrifices in complete dependence upon You moment by moment, acknowledging Your control, recognizing all the great gifts that You've given us, and thanking You that because of You are sovereign, You will lead us home. Help us to be faithful until then. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, would you stand, please? You got something? And Steve's going to come. Hello. There it is. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate you sharing. It's been another great morning. I um, hope you enjoyed it. Just a couple quick announcements. 
I want to remind you that tonight uh, we'll be starting at 7.30. Len Crowley will be sharing with us tonight. You won't want to miss that. We're also trying to put a plug in to maybe have Steve Camp in here tonight. If we can work it out, he's had a long night, but he may be able to sing a couple songs tonight. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. again with Harry Walls, 10.30. Russ Moore is going to be speaking, and uh, Jerry Ragg from Grace Community Church is going to be singing in between the two. And then Saturday night, we'll round up the week uh, with Steve Camp, about an hour and a half, two-hour concert. You won't want to miss that. It's going to be a great time. And again, somebody lost their keys. So come get them if you can't find them. Here they are. Have a great day. See you tonight.